0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Church, is right. The time is now. How are we doing today? We okay? We, we alive today? All right. My name is Brett Cadwell. I'm the executive pastor here at Kingsway, and I'm so excited to kick off this series with you all today. And we really start a a four-week journey that really begins a five-year journey as a church and beyond. As we look at God, what do you have for this place? What are you doing in our church? And uh, we really do believe what we said in that graphic up there—that the best is yet to come for our church—and we're so excited. Uh, you know, our leaders, our elders, our executive team, our staff, some key leaders and volunteers have been hitting our knees and dreaming. And talking and talking a lot and meeting and meeting a lot to really unpack what we're walking through these next four weeks and what Matt unpacked Sunday night. And uh, I hope that you joined us last Sunday night, either in in person or online. If you didn't, it's okay. You're gonna be able to follow along today. But I would highly encourage you to do that not during the service. Okay, that's rude. All right, but when you get home today, uh, you know, go on our website, check that out. Daniel just told you how to do that, and uh, you know, and watch watch Matt's presentation of this vision and and throughout this four-week series that'll really help the pieces to come together. So what I want to do real quickly is I want to establish what vision is. Why is it important? Why do we take all this time? Why Why do we have all these conversations about our vision and why are we taking four weeks out of the year to talk through that with you all? And if you remember back in January, uh, Matt did a sermon called "Kazon," and I was really afraid I could not pronounce that word. So we're, we're all good. That's two for two today. But "Kazon," um, if you remember in January, that was about you know, our personal vision. The personal vision that God had for you. Where do your core values, your beliefs, and your past experiences kind of meet in, this, in the center? And then where is God leading you in that personal vision? Well, in this series, we're kind of taking that approach. It's kind of a lot of the things, same things we talked about, just from a higher level view as a church. Okay, what, you know, what are the people that God has put in place in our church? What are the gifts that he's given those people? What are the needs in our community and how do we best meet those? What are the needs of the people that, are, that call Kingsway home and how do we best come alongside those people? And so we're really, really excited to see what God does over these next five years. And you know, when we, we talk about vision, this is really the definition that we've come to. It's really a picture of our preferred future. So as we look five years down the road and COVID is long gone, can I get an amen? Amen. 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 All right, and we, we wanna see who does God want Kingsway to be? Who, where is the growth that he wants, both in our church and, a, in a, and in us personally? Who will be a part of this place? There's a lot of people that we believe will be a part of this place that aren't a part of Kingsway now, but will be in the future. So last Sunday night, Matt broke down this vision into four lanes, four categories or focuses, if you will, okay? We said, by the end of 2025, as a church, we will thrive spiritually, we will multiply our impact, we will grow leaders, and we will love our neighbors, all right? And those four things get us really, really pumped as a staff, and they should get you really, really pumped as a follower of Jesus and a a member of this place, okay? So today, we are focused on that first one, thriving spiritually, and so I want to pray, and then we're gonna jump in right now, let's pray. God, we love you, and uh, God, I am so thankful for every single person and soul and story that is joining us in the room today, and online, wherever they may be. God, I pray, I believe you have something for every one of us today. It is one of the most powerful things you do is you can take the words of, of man, and you can multiply it in our hearts, God, and you can, God, allow every single person, wherever they're walking in today, whatever their story, whatever they've been dealing with even this morning, God, you can allow us to hear from you exactly what what we need to hear from you. And so God, I invite you here. I invite your spirit here. Remove me and insert yourself. God, may these be your words and not mine. And may we be changed because of your word and your scripture and your church. And it's your name we pray, amen. All right, so thrive spiritually. These are the actual words from our vision, all right? So by the end of 2025, we believe we'll be a church that thrives spiritually, all right, and we will become this. Growing spiritually will be in our DNA. We will prioritize personal spiritual growth and create resources that help guide along the way. Of those actively engaged in our church, over 70% will be connected together in a group and 50% will be serving on a regular monthly basis. Keep going, and we will increase generosity 5% annually and reduce debt by 75% over the next five years. By God and his grace, we will do that, and we will do everything we can to do that so that we can continue to give away over 10% to outreach each year. We will intentionally reach 11,000 first-time guests. Yes, that is the right number. We did the math. Uh, Matt tells you all the time that there's no math in Bible college, but we did do the math on that, and, uh, and we believe that we can, we can reach that, that goal who visit live or online. So 11,000 first-time guests who visit live or online, we will all, pay attention to this, we will all take our next step in our journey as we strive to become more like Jesus. So what does it mean to thrive? What do we mean by that? Well, I would imagine that everybody in this room has a moment in their life, maybe it's a moment in your marriage or the, the, you think about one of your kids, or, you know, a high school sports team. What's that moment where you, you you know, you just it felt like you were thriving? Maybe it's at work, you know, all the pieces are in place, everything's hitting on all cylinders. It's like nothing can go wrong. What do you think about? What are some words that come to mind when you think about thriving? Well, for me, I came to this. I found that my mind went to to life. Like living things, right? And so it's it's that moment of feeling fully alive, reaching our full potential. It also could be experienced like at St. Elmo's when you eat the shrimp cocktail, right? Okay, if you've ever done that, okay? All right, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. But in that moment, you feel fully alive. Your senses are fully engaged, right? But it's, it's this idea of, of being alive, right? But what's the opposite of that? What does it look like when we're not thriving? I got some, some ugly words here but I think it's true, You know, we, we start to see decay, wither, maybe a, a slow rot, a lack of life, it's like a dormancy. Look outside on the grass right now, it's been dormant all winter long, we're starting to see little spots of green, but for the most part, it's brown, there's a lack of growth. And so the op- if the opposite of thriving means that you're dying and not growing, then that means that when we're thriving, there is growth, and where there is growth, there is life, and when there is life in our spiritual life, that means that God makes us fully and truly alive. We start to wake up to the person that God has created us to be. Not the person that our boss tells us that we should be, not the person that our spouse may wish we were, not the person that our kids you know, tells us that we should be, but the person that God truly created you to be. There's a book called The Prodigal God, and I read it several years ago, and I picked it up a couple months ago, written by a guy by the name of Timothy Keller. And there's a quote in it says this, properly understood, Christianity is by no means the opiate of the people. It's more like the smelling salts. So what does that mean? Well, an opiate does what? It dulls the senses. It dulls the pain. It dulls us to what's happening around us. That's not what Christianity is. That's not who we're designed to be as a Christian. We're designed to be the smelling salts. If you ever watch a football game on Sunday, okay, and see the, the guy that just got lit up and he comes to the sidelines and the trainer comes over and he, they rip off that package and it puts it to his nose and what happens, right? It's, he's fully alive in that moment. He's probably not loving life, but he's fully alive, okay? But that's, that's who God created us to be. That's why God put us on the earth so that we can be that glimpse of Christianity to our people, to the community, to those around us. I wanna share a a story with you. So I I was in ministry, and then I I left the paid ministry for about seven years, and then I I started back in paid ministry here at Kingsway about three and a half years ago. And in those seven years, I I managed a farm operation with my father-in-law, and we raised hogs on that farm operation. There was about 5,000 hogs on site at any time. Right? We used to say it smelled like money. That's right. Smelled like money. I don't know what you were thinking, but it smelled like money. All right, and we had to say it smelled like something because frankly, it just smelled bad all the time. And so, but we, we were a fair to finish operation. So I don't want to insult your intelligence in the room, but most of you probably are not farmers. And so that meant that we had actually pigs born and we raised them all the way to market. They became bacon and the whole world wins, right? And so, um, and so but we had about 300 pigs born every week on the farm. Right, And so these pigs would be nursing on the mom, the sow for about three weeks and then we'd move them to a nursery. And that nursery, think like preschool, elementary school. Okay, that's kind of like, so they're, they're removed from their mom and then they're on dry feed and they're learning how to drink water for the first time. And every time, every group that we weaned every week, there'd be about two or three that as they got into that new environment, growth would stop, decay would set in. They would not eat, they would not drink, and they would slowly wither away, and they would die. And so, and there was actually a name for this, and it was called failure to thrive syndrome. And, uh, and you know, and church, what I see as I look around the country, and I look around you know, other churches, is I see that happening in our church sometimes. Not necessarily, I mean, sometimes at Kingsway, but the church as a whole, right? Growth stops. Not just growth in numbers, not just butts and seats, but personal, spiritual growth. People stop being challenged. We grow comfortable. That's, you know, that's kind of how we are naturally made. We, we seek comfort, we fight change. We run from anything that's different. And I don't believe, we don't believe, at Kingsway, that's what God intends for us or what God intends for his church. And that's why thriving spiritually is at the top of our vision. It's at the beginning of our vision statement. All right, This is a top button idea. Like a dress shirt you put on, you get the top button right and everything else falls in line. That's, that's why we're talking about this first and that's why it's first in order. That's on purpose. And I believe this to be true about our spiritual walk. When we boil all this down and we look at the truth throughout scripture, I believe this, that God created you to thrive not survive. And I think if you look over the last 12 months of your life, we went live online March 15th for the first time. So it's been almost a year. We look at what God has done in our own personal lives and what God has done in the church. And I think we've done a lot of surviving, right? And I really, we truly believe that God intended the church to thrive in moments like this. We find this in Psalms one, Psalms one, read with me says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And watch this. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. You see, church, from the beginning of time, starting in Genesis, God intended for things to grow. Do you feel like a tree planted along a riverbank? Let's dive into that. What's the psalmist mean when he says that? Have you ever seen a a tree growing along a riverbank and it's like sometimes they're like at an angle and you're like, how in the world does that tree not fall down? How's that work? Well, what you can't see is the roots that go deep into the soil and they get nutrients. And what do those roots do? They anchor it. And so it is, you know, when drought comes, when disease comes, when the winds come, it doesn't matter. In every season, that tree continues to bear fruit. And at Kingsway, we want to be hungry. We want to be hungry for growth. Not satisfied but with where we are, but regularly asking, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in me? And what's next? What's that next step? And we believe that growing spiritually should be in our DNA, we, we thought about that intentional. That statement is very intentional. And I, I remember learning about DNA in middle school and high school, but I went and, and researched it a little bit. And so what, what I understand DNA to be is really your, your blueprint or your signature, and it's, it's printed on every cell in your body. Your cells make up tissues. Your tissues make up organs. Your organs make up your human body. And boom, we got a human. All right, so that is, that's genetics 101 <laughs> in church today, okay? But what's that mean? Well, it means that starting with our DNA, that signature is on every single cell throughout our body. And that's what, how we want thri- thriving spiritually to be, growing spiritually, that growth. We want it to be in everything we do, not just an afterthought, but in everything. It becomes a part of who we are. It's natural and it's happening naturally. We don't have to force it. It's not out of obligation, but it's out of the abundant life that we believe that Jesus promises us. You may be thinking, okay, Brett, all right, that sounds awesome. Vision, five-year picture, got it, but that's not my life. What happens in the valley? What happens in the pain? What happens in the hurt? What happens when, you know, it sounds like, Brett, that you just think that we're supposed to be perfect, and that's not it at all. And I hope to show you that today because... You know, in that valley, I know that real things happen, like losing your job or, you know, a spouse that walks away and you want to fight, but they walk anyway. When that loved one gets sick and the only way you can communicate is through an iPad or a phone. When uh, a friendship that that had lasted years falls apart and you don't know why, or you look around your life and, and all the relationships start to suffer when a pandemic hits and you kind of forget what it means to, to spend time with the Lord, your, your focus is on everything else. I know when that happens, it doesn't really feel like you're a tree planted along a riverbank. It doesn't feel like you start to question your roots. You start to think like, man, I'm, I'm putting this life out on social media or the way that people see me, but they don't really know what's going on in here. And I'm sure for many of us in the room, you probably had a thought like, if one more thing goes wrong, I don't know if I can take it. Here's what the Bible says to those of you that have thought that or feeling like that, even this morning. I love this picture in Isaiah 44. It says this For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields, and I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. And watch this, they will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. So we got trees on a riverbank in Psalms. And in Isaiah, we have willows on a riverbank. And you, have, you will thrive like watered grass. We all know that guy in the neighborhood, all right? Okay, you, you know, some of you are in here, okay, all right? But you, we all know that, that grass that is perfect, it's because it's watered and it's taken care of and God promises that. Okay, so I want to crack open the Old Testament today and I want to show you a story in the Old Testament. And I want to I want us to learn from it today. I believe God has f- something for each one of you in this story. And so it's in 2nd Chronicles and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this, but it's 2nd Chronicles, so that's you get the 1st and 2nd Kings and then 1st and 2nd Chronicles. It's before Psalms, a little bit less than halfway through that Old Testament. All right, and in Chronicles, what you see happening is is God is telling the story of king after king and and story after story that happened throughout Israel and history. And you see some kings that follow after God, and you see some kings that don't. You get to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and we learn of King Asa. King Asa was this guy we don't know a whole lot about, but he's in a couple chapters in the Bible, and it says that he had a severe foot disease. Promises This is in the Bible. Okay. Stick with me. So he had a severe foot disease and because he didn't seek God's help and he only sought the help of doctors and physicians that two years later he died. That's what it says. <laughs> doesn't give us much more than that. But because of his death, his son, King Jehoshaphat takes over. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, Jehoshaphat is pronounced a lot of different ways. I might pronounce it more than one way. It's Jehoshaphat or Jehoshaphat, or sometimes I, my mind goes to Jabba the Hutt, but I know he's not this big, like, you know, guy of goo. That's not who it is, okay? So, but King Jehoshaphat in chapter 17, we see, and it starts off by telling us that God was with Jehoshaphat. It actually says that he sought God and obeyed God's commands. So what does that tell us? Well, King Jehoshaphat was thriving spiritually, right? That's a perfect example and that's why we're diving into this story. God was alive, he was working in him and he allowed that transformation in his own heart and in his own soul to, to transform his leadership of Judah, of the country. So over the next few chapters, we see the kingdom grow and he, he gains all this wealth He gets livestock more than he can count. We know that he was loved by all the people. In 2 Chronicles 17, verse 6, it says, he was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. So it's given us a glimpse into the heart of King Jehoshaphat. And we see him shortly after this. He sends his officials, I would call them missionaries, out into all of Judah, all the groups of people that are living out throughout the nation. And he tells them, talk about what God is doing. Talk about what we've seen God do and how he's provided and it says that the fear of the Lord swept over the nation, right? The fear of the Lord and peace came to the region. And, you know, the king's fame only grew and his wealth grew and he got more livestock. It said that he developed an army over a million men. And then all of a sudden things start to turn a little bit. And King Jehoshaphat doesn't realize it all, all at, the, at, at the beginning. But then we, we introduced to a guy named King Ahab of Israel. King Ahab... We don't know whether he's fallen after God or not, but uh, he ends up, the King Ahab's daughter marries King Jehoshaphat's son, and they, this alliance is formed. And all of a sudden, King Jehoshaphat finds him in the middle of King Ahab's war, right? And King Ahab devel, develops this grand plan that he knows that the army is after him. So he turns to King Jehoshaphat and he's like, hey, when we go out and fight tomorrow, you wear all your king garb. I'm gonna be over here in street clothes. And uh, they they probably won't come after you. Well, you know what happens. So the king says, hey, you look for the king, or I mean, sorry, the, the leader of the army says, you look for the king, you find him and you kill him. Well, the battle starts the next day and the chariots are coming after King Jehoshaphat. And it says literally that the Lord turned their chariots away. So you see God already protecting King Jehoshaphat. And randomly, it says literally in the scripture that a random arrow shot from an archer hits King Ahab between his armor and a spot between his armor, and he sits in his chariot, and he watches the sun go down, and he dies. So King Jehoshaphat is kind of you know in this moment of like, okay, I had peace. Now I'm in a little bit of chaos, the, the, it's starting to look like a valley. What do I do? So King Jehoshaphat comes back. He kind of settles things. He sends out uh, his people again to go to the countryside and talk about all the goodness of the Lord. And before you know it, um, King Jehoshaphat is in, an, is in a war again. And he's got three surrounding armies that are coming after him this time. And it says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, remember you got a king that loves the Lord. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. Now, remember we talked about thriving spiritually does not mean perfection, it does not mean giving into fear. You know, sometimes we're going to give into fear. But I want you to watch what King Jehoshaphat does in this moment. It's so cool to watch his response. He literally proclaims in scripture that he is scared to death. He doesn't know what to do. And what's, what is his reaction? Well, you see in the verses that follow, he brings all those people together, all those people that he had sent those, those missionaries out to tell about what the Lord was doing. He brings them together, he asks them to start fasting. And you know what they start doing? They start praying. And they prayed this prayer. We pick it up in uh, chapter 20, verse 12, the end of verse 12. It says, Lord, we do not know what to do, but we are looking for help. They're crying out to God. They're literally saying, We don't know what to do next. We got this army bearing down. God, help us. And it's in that moment that the Spirit of the Lord comes over. One of the men, while they're praying, and it says, as he spoke on behalf of the Lord, and he proclaimed this, and I want you to watch this church, the last part of verse 15, he says, "Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Amen Amen." He goes on to tell them, "You march out to that army tomorrow, but don't even bother getting your sword." out of your sheath. Don't worry. You don't need to fight. I got this. You know what the king did? The king didn't do what I would probably do. He trusted. Did he doubt? Did he ask questions? At least in the scripture, we, we don't think he did. And it says in verse 18, it says, then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all of the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. So the next morning comes, and this is so cool. King Jehoshaphat gets up and he reminds them. It's only been like 10 hours. All they've done is slept one night and he has to remind them, hey, you remember what God said last night. You remember the direction that we got. And sure enough, they walk out. Their swords are still in their sheath. And it says they start singing, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And in that moment, confusion wins the day. And you see in scripture that those three armies that were bearing down on King Jehoshaphat and his men literally turn and start fighting each other. And over the course of that day, we learn in scripture that it says not a single one of the enemy had escaped and King Jehoshaphat had never even raised his sword. It says in scripture that it took three days for King Jehoshaphat's men to go and collect the plunder and collect everything that was left from these three massive armies. So what I wanna do, let's look at what King Jehoshaphat, the example that he was. He was a man that he knew how to thrive and not just survive. Even in the moment where God did look out for him and he did survive an invading army, God showed up in an unbelievable way. So what's this teach us? Well, I think first we see King Jehoshaphat He humbled himself. He admitted from the get-go that he was scared out of his mind. He didn't have the answer. He didn't know what to do next. And he begged the Lord for guidance. You see when King Jehoshaphat is prostrate on the ground, laying with his face on the ground. What's so cool, I think, is that all the people follow after him. Tells you a little bit of the kind of leader that King Jehoshaphat was. So you've got all these people that follow after God and they're on their face. And throughout scripture, what we know this means is that's a, that's a posture of humility, of surrender, and there's no pride when your face is on the ground. King Jehoshaphat is in essence saying in this moment, I may be a king on earth, but my king in heaven is the one in charge. He's saying, I need your wisdom. I need your help. I need your guidance. He checked his pride at the door. He took the place of a servant. A mentor of mine early in ministry said, Brett, if you wake wake up every morning and you take the place of a servant, it's really, really hard to get offended throughout the day. And I found that so true, whether you're in ministry or the marketplace or wherever you, you find yourself. Is that you today? You've been trying to do life on your own, I wanna share a story. Uh, so I mentioned that we've been, we've been, you know, March 15th was the first time we went online and for about two months, our staff were all working remotely from our homes and I had made this makeshift office in my, our guest bedroom at our home. And uh, I remember it was in the middle of the late May. We had been at this for a couple months. We didn't know. I, I read this story and I'm like, yeah, that is so exactly what I was experiencing, what King Jehoshaphat was going through. We didn't know if anybody was gonna ever come back to this place. We didn't know if, if you all were gonna continue being generous so that we could continue impacting our community. We didn't know at times, you know, we're lifting our hands saying, God, how are, you gonna, how are we gonna pay the bills? How are we gonna pay our staff? How are we going to you know, continue to share the gospel and do what the church is supposed to do? And I found myself one middle of the day and I was in the middle of this office, my door closed, my family wouldn't even have known this happened. And I'm on my knees, not quite prostrate, but the posture was similar. And I was at the end of myself. I was out of ideas. I was, my leadership, it was, last year was the toughest year of leadership that I've ever experienced in my life. And in that moment, I had to check my pride at the door and say, God, I don't, I don't know what to do next, I need you. I would imagine that many of you have found yourself in a similar place over the last year. So we see King Jehoshaphat, he humbles himself. and the next thing he does is so important. He leans into his community. He leans in. He had invested in those around him, the leaders in his community. You know He did not wait until the chaos. He did not wait until war had come upon him and his, and his country, but instead... He had spent years before that sending his people out. When he, come, when he came back from the chaos of the first war with King Ahab, it says that, that the King Jehoshaphat actually went out onto the streets with his people. Again, humbling himself. And he went and he leaned into his community. And because he had done that, when things got hard, his community showed up. They fasted and they prayed on his behalf. And I know some of you in this room are a part of a community here at Kingsway or some other way in your life. And, I, and you know we hear testimonies of what God does in those communities all the time. Some of you here have tried that before and it got awkward and it got messy and you know real people started showing up and real problems started showing up. and Or maybe you tried a life group and the first time, it was just like, it just wasn't a good fit. I, I wanna tell you a story. So my wife and I, in our first ministry, we were up in Noblesville, White River Christian Church. I was a pastor on staff and we we tried a, a group at the time. And it was, it was a bunch of couples and the leaders were awesome, awesome, godly people. And we walked in and we just, we walked away after the first couple meetings. We're like, man, something just, it's just, there's not, it's not working. There's not a connection. Great people, it just wasn't right for us. And we we sat down with the leaders and we had a hard conversation. And we just said, you know, hey, you guys are doing awesome things. We believe God is doing awesome things in your group. We don't want to get in the way of that. We're gonna go over here. Well, what happened? was we went from there and God led us to start our own group in our home. And over the course of the next three years, we saw God create this incredible community in our living room. And we went from six or seven married couples that, with no kids to they still come to my house every year, even now, and they camp out of our house and there's like 27, I lost count, 27 kids. And we, we had this beautiful community. And you know what happened in the other group too? Is their, their community grew. And it was, even though it was a hard conversation, God had, had God, God had plans for both and community happened in both. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, your, your best friend for the rest of your life may be in a group that you haven't joined yet. That relationship that you so desperately need in your life might be sitting right around the corner, but you got to say Yes. And we see King Jehoshaphat do that. He leans into his community. He humbles himself. He leans into his community. And we see this this quote from Timothy Keller. He says this, Only if you are a part of community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow into his likeness. And so God created you to be who you are, but you don't fully realize who you are in Jesus until you are doing life with other people. Solitude, prayer, Bible study, those are all awesome things and necessary things to do in order to grow. But community is also one of those. So he humbles himself. He joins community and then he does this. The third thing, he fixes his eyes on God in the good and in the bad, in the mountaintop and in the valley. Because he knew who his God was And he had seen how his God had provided that even when it felt like in the chaos of I'm about to lose everything that I have, he kept his eyes fixed on God. You saw him. He said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do next. I don't know what my next step is, but my eyes are on you. Do you do that church? Do I do that? I know I needed that reminder on that guest bedroom floor in May. And here's what I love. As we get to the end of this story in 2 Chronicles, it says this, chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of the Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace. Listen to these words. For his God had given him rest on every side. Those words are for somebody today. How many of us, when we're at the end of ourselves, we try to manufacture rest ourselves? This isn't like Sunday nap rest. This is rest on every side. Rest in places and areas of your life that you don't even know that you need rest. On every side. God didn't have to say that. God could have just said, King Jehoshaphat, I'm gonna give you rest. He said, I'm gonna give you rest on every side, in every season, in ways that you can't even imagine. I'm gonna give you rest. Rest. And here's what's so powerful, is that the same God who says that to King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles is the same God that we serve today. And it's the same God who sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, a death that he didn't deserve. It's the same Jesus who is the living water for our parched fields today. It's the same Jesus that brings strength to the weary. And he's the same Jesus that created you to thrive. Sometimes we hear a story like this and our first instinct is like, well, he was a king. That was a long time ago. I don't even read the Old Testament. It doesn't even make any sense. How does this relate to me? Jesus died for you. And we see it so clearly in Colossians 2. Colossians 2 says this, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. What do you do next? You let your roots grow down into him, you let your lives be built on him, and then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught, and you will what? You will overthrow, overflow with thankfulness. That sounds a lot like thriving to me. So the question becomes are you willing to take that next step to thrive spiritually? And it really starts with prioritizing that in your life. You know, for me, I know that if I'm gonna make growing spiritually a priority, you know what has to go? The late night Netflix. When I stay up till one in the morning watching some stupid show and then I can't get up the next morning and spend time with God. Maybe for you, it's something different. Social media, social media, Y'all know what I'm doing. You scroll and scroll, I do it too. Maybe it's your politics, maybe it's the news. That's not a political statement, but that might be something that is taking priority over your spiritual growth. Maybe it's an addiction of some kind and you need some help. Here's what I know, and you saw it there in our vision statement. Our elders, our leaders, our staff, myself, We will not stop creating resources and fixing things and seeking God's help and doing things different until every person knows the life life transformational power of the gospel. Every person. Church, can you imagine a church where each person starts to take their next step? Catch that last line in our vision. It didn't say some of us, it said, All of us. This doesn't happen because a group of leaders got in a room and put some grand idea together. This happens because every one of us, along with God and his help, King Jehoshaphat, it didn't happen because King Jehoshaphat followed God. It happened because King Jehoshaphat followed God, was leading well, kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, and everybody around him that had had submitted to the fear of the Lord was all together and unified. You guys understand how our church starts to change, how our community starts to change, how our schools start to change, how our workplaces start to change, how the trajectory of your life starts to change when you start to thrive spiritually. Not perfection, but you stop surviving and you start thriving. So here's the question. What's God asking of you? What's next for you? What have you been saying no to that God is desperately wanting you to say yes to? The beauty of that is that I don't know. I can answer that for me. I can tell you that our team is gonna walk alongside you if if you need help figuring that out. What do you need to do today to move from surviving to thriving? Because here's what we believe, and here's what I know, is that with Jesus... The best is always yet to come. We just have to take that next step. Let's pray. God, you're so good. God, you are a God that was showing up thousands of years ago on a battlefield You were a guy that was coming alongside a king to say, King Joseph, that battle is not yours, it's mine. God, I'm not too naive to think that there's a battle in every life that's represented in this room today, online today. God, we all have our battles. I don't know if they're anything like me, we keep trying to pick up the sword and fight them ourselves. We keep trying to figure out how to thrive. But we don't even have time to think about how to thrive because all we're trying to do is get through the next day. God show us. God show us. Prick our hearts for what pricks yours. God, may we may we be a church that is known for how we grow and how we're hungry for your word and how we're hungry for what's next and how we won't stop until everyone knows your name and why it matters. And they see in our life the transformation. And because they see that transformation, then they want what we have. God, may we be a church that's asking what's next and may we be a church that says yes. Says yes to you and yes to what you're doing. And God, we'll turn and we'll give you every bit of the glory. It's your name we pray. Amen.